Our God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or even imagine. What a comforting thought. Amen, church? That was a very touching time of worship. And now we have the opportunity to go to the Word of God together. So turn with me, if you would, to John's Gospel, chapter 6. John 6 is where we are, and we are continuing a series called The Signs. So years ago, I went on a trip to Chicago, and we were exploring around Navy Pier, and I saw a sign that got my attention. It said, Donut Burgers. And I was like, huh, I'm intrigued. And so I went and purchased a donut burger of my very own, and I chased it down with a couple of Tums a couple hours later. But that's what signs do. Signs get our attention, and they point us to something. But in the case of these signs that we're studying, these miracles in these accurate gospel accounts, these historical accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, these signs don't just point us to something, they they point us to someone. They point us to, to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. A prayer that we have in the midst of this series is that each of these miracles would be a sign for you, a reminder. What a tragedy it would be if we come in this beautiful sanctuary, in this old church building, week in and week week out, and we hear Bible stories, we hear theology, we, we hear some Bible history, and then we miss out on Christ. What a tragedy that would be. I don't know where you are this morning. I hope and I pray that you have encountered the risen Christ because that's what we've got an opportunity to do in this life. Through the gospel of Jesus, we can come into that right standing with God and we can be connected with Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you are in here out of religious motions or you are in here just to do something that makes you feel good in a religious manner, No judgment here, but I want you to know you have an opportunity to engage Jesus through his word. Amen? Amen. So with that being said, uh, we're going to be looking at a story today. So we've been looking at seven key miracles in John's gospel. Now, this particular story is interesting to me because it's the only miracle that's contained in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I bet it's a story you've heard before. So with that being said, let's go to the word together. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? John's gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14 reads... After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. 
One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with uh, fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the disciples saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The Apostle John lets us know in this account that there's a large crowd following Jesus. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's been traveling around and he's done various really amazing and staggering miracles. And word is starting to get around. And so to name a few miracles that had taken place at this point in Jesus' ministry, I just want to rattle off a few for you. We've studied a couple of these already. Jesus had, at this point, transformed water into wine immediately. He healed the official son who was dying. We studied that. He also drove out an evil spirit for the man in Capernaum. He healed Peter's sick mother-in-law. He healed the man plagued with leprosy. He healed the centurion's paralyzed servant. He healed the paralytic who had been let down through the roof. He healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. And the list could go on. So word is getting around. And the, the news of all of these fantastic stories are spreading like wildfire. And so Jesus is really popular and so naturally, a crowd begins to form around the Lord Jesus because they want to see what he does next. They even want to hear what he says because they know that this man, Jesus, is, is different. He's, he's clearly special, but they didn't know exactly why. Which brings us to the first part of the story, which we will call an impossible situation. An impossible situation. Look at John 6, beginning in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. All right, so at this point, Jesus has retreated. Okay, he was in the city limits. He was surrounded by these massive crowds. And so he goes out of the city. And he crosses the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, to basically get away. But the people keep following him out there. And not just people, but y'all, it, it was a massive crowd. We'll talk about the size in just a little bit. And when Jesus sees that they're not going anywhere, he, he decides to do something for this crowd, for those that were following him. And so Jesus looks at Philip, and he basically says, hey, Philip, what are we going to do? 
Where are we going to get all the bread that we need to feed these people? Now, let's keep in mind, they're in the wilderness, okay? They're, they're, they're not in West Mobile. They're not in Grand Bay, although that's what some of you think those places are, the wilderness. They're not. They're not near a town. They're not near a neighborhood to collect supplies. They're not near shops or anything like that. And so Philip looks up, and he sees the crowd. And by the way, the scriptures say that there were 5,000 men And so scholars believe very strongly that this is not even taking into account the women and children that would have been present. And so, y'all, this crowd could have been 10 to 15,000 people. Just get that visual in your mind. Out in the wilderness, 10 to 15,000 people following the Lord Jesus, waiting to see what he does, waiting to hear what he says. And what was Philip's response? Look at verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. All right, so 200 denarii, to put that in perspective, that's about eight months worth of wages. So here's what Philip basically said to Jesus in response. He basically said, Jesus, you don't understand. I could work for eight months straight and still not have enough to give everyone a bite of food. Much less, how are we going to get bread enough for all of these people to eat a whole meal? So this was truly an impossible situation. I wonder, have you ever encountered an impossible situation in your life? And I'm not talking about the flat tire on the way to taking your kids to school. That's an inconvenience, okay? You can figure out the tow truck. You can figure out the family members. But have you ever encountered something in life that truly was insurmountable, impossible for you to come up with a solution? Last week, we talked about some of those common forms of brokenness in our world, and our worship team referenced these earlier. So, in keeping with that vein, let's go down that track a little bit. Maybe your impossible situation is physical in nature. Maybe you've got a health problem, and it's plagued you for a long time. Maybe you've got a more recent diagnosis and it scares you. Or maybe you've got a symptom, something that's cropping up in your body that it scares you. And you don't know what to do. You've tried treatments, you've tried different remedies, and nothing is making it go away. Maybe your impossible situation is something emotional, like we talked about earlier. Maybe you've got this recurring feeling this recurring emotion, and when it comes on you, it is overwhelming you. And it's been a struggle for you, something that you've truly wrestled with. Maybe you've sought help, maybe not. But regardless, it is impossible for you to overcome on your own. Maybe your impossible situation is relational. Someone you're close with, have been close with. All of a sudden, you're not anymore. In fact, you're at odds with one another, and you so want to be in a right relationship with them again. You've tried it all. Maybe you've tried to fight it out. Maybe you've tried to go to counseling with them even, but you're not seeing the resolve there that you were hoping for. It's hard. It seems impossible. 
There's one other category that we didn't talk about last week. Maybe your impossible situation is financial in nature. Maybe you're, you're truly just stressed out thinking about money, thinking about how am I going to pay for these bills? How am I going to buy the groceries for my family? How am I going to make ends meet? And so you are truly overwhelmed by the finances in your life. There's a few reasons we can find ourselves in these situations. One thought there is sometimes we're in impossible situations for really no fault of our own. Maybe you didn't do anything to be in that situation, but you live in what's called a fallen world. And sometimes bad things happen in this fallen world. Sometimes things that are hard happen in this life just because of the fallen world that we live in. Sometimes we're in those impossible situations because of ourselves. Self-inflicted, if you will. There's another reason that we might not immediately think of why we might be in an impossible situation. And it's a reason that doesn't really come to mind probably for most of us. And that could be God wants you in that impossible situation as a test. I didn't come up with that. That's actually in the word of God here. In fact, look at verses 5 and 6. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Did you catch that? Jesus already knew. Jesus knew exactly how he was going to fix this problem. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And yet, he asked Philip in order to test him. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus test Philip, someone that he loves in that way? I think the book of James actually gives us an answer to that question. Look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Listen up. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you did a word study of that word steadfast, it literally means the capacity to continue to bear up under circumstances. I know that's a wordy definition. Let me say it one more time. The capacity to continue to bear up under circumstances. And what that is painting there is that the testing of your faith produces something inside of us. It produces an inner strength that we did not have before. It is a working out of sorts for our souls. And as we go through these tests, and as we are faithful in these tests, it produces the ability to carry more, to have a strength, emotional, spiritual, even mental. So I believe, in short, God tests us because he loves us. Sounds a little backwards, but it's true. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to build us up. That brings us to the second part of this story. Number one, an impossible situation. Number two, an unforeseen solution. Look at verse 8. 
One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. All right, so the miracle here is kind of subtle, and yet it was really obvious. So what happened in this miracle? There there wasn't anything flashy. There wasn't anything dramatic. Jesus had the basket. I think he had the little boy's basket, and I think he just keeps reaching in and pulling out bread, reaching in and pulling out fish. Not dramatic, but still impressive. Nonetheless, food just keeps multiplying right there in front of their eyes. There's two things that we'll highlight here in this section. The first one is this. He uses a delivery system. Jesus uses a delivery system. All right, so here in John's gospel, John sticks kind of with the big picture. And what John does a lot throughout his whole gospel account is he just focuses like a laser beam on Jesus. And so that's what he does in this story. But it's kind of like if a few of us see one thing happen, we all kind of tell our perspective. It's telling the same story, but slightly different emphasis. And so here's Matthew's emphasis about this story. Matthew 14, the latter part of verse 19 says, Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, who performed the miracle? Clearly, it was Jesus, but Jesus uses a delivery system of sorts. He didn't call in Amazon. He, he didn't call in FedEx. No, he, he handed them to the disciples, and then he had the disciples distribute what had just been multiplied. Oftentimes, I believe that's still how the Lord works today. We pray. We make a need known to God. And then God answers the prayer. He provides, and oftentimes the way He provides is through His children, through His disciples, through followers of Jesus Christ. There's been seasons in my life where, if I can just be transparent with you, where I struggled in my faith. And I wondered and I doubted the existence of God, I doubted the authority of Scripture. And one of the things that really rooted me in my faith and grounded me in my faith was seeing answered prayers. And not just answered prayers, but prayers answered in such clear and vivid ways where the timing had to be God. It was just far more than coincidence. I've seen that in my life. My wife and I have witnessed this in churches throughout the years. We've seen God answer prayers. I recall a few stories where someone in our church needed a procedure. And they're praying. They're trying to figure out, how am I going to pay for this? I can't afford this. And then a godly couple in the church feels burdened by God to pay for their procedure. Did God answer the prayer? He sure did. Did God use a godly couple in the process? He sure did. I think of a sister in Christ who really needed a vehicle, single mom, 
didn't know how she was going to buy a car. Her car was done for. She couldn't afford a car. And then a brother in Christ in the church felt impressed by God to purchase a vehicle for this young lady. God answered the prayer, used a brother to do it. I think of another single mom years ago that was stressing because she was trying to figure out how am I going to work and do child care? I can't afford child care. How am I going to do this? And a lady in the church feels burdened by God to say, hey, let me keep your child while you work. Those might seem like small things to you, but they're not. They are the Lord answering prayer and him using the vehicle of his people in the process. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe we don't see fantastic miracles in the way we might like to see them. Maybe you want to see those signs in those vivid, real ways. But maybe they're happening all around you and you're just not paying attention. Maybe you're not noticing what God has already done. Years ago, there was a a VBS, as we used to call it, Vacation Bible School. And in the Vacation Bible School at the church we were at at the time, it it encouraged kids to participate in God sightings throughout the week. And so the idea was you encourage kids to go home and kind of look for God sightings, things that God was doing in your family Things that God was doing in your community. Church, I would encourage us to do that. That's not just a kid concept, but let's, let's watch. Let's look and see the Lord working and moving in our midst. Amen? A second thought to consider here regarding the solution for this impossible situation is he uses what we offer. He uses what we offer. All right, so... Philip was tested, and if we're being honest, Philip kind of bombed, okay? He, he really failed the test. Andrew does a little bit better than Philip on the test. Look at verses 8 and 9. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Okay, imagine you're Andrew here. You hear Jesus say to the disciples, hey, how are we going to feed them? Where's all this food going to come from? And the guys literally, I think literally start looking around like, did you bring food? No. Do y'all have food? No. Okay. And they're just looking around this massive crowd of people. Maybe they're walking around in the midst of this crowd just trying to find food. And the only thing you see that might remotely help is the one boy who was smart enough to bring a sack lunch that day. One out of 10 to 15,000. Okay, that's not good odds. But Andrew, he sees this little sack lunch, and he's like, I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't think that's going to do a whole lot. But Andrew had enough faith to take that to Jesus. I think he got the boy's permission. He takes it to the Lord Jesus. says, I don't think it's much. I don't think this is enough to do anything, but this is what we've got to work with. He had enough faith to bring what he had to the Lord Jesus. Now, did Jesus need the five barley loaves and the two fish to feed this crowd? Absolutely not. 
If Jesus wanted to, he could start picking up rocks, transforming it into a loaf of bread, and go Lambert style and just start chunking it out into the crowd there if he wanted to. He could have, but that's not what the Lord Jesus did. No, he takes what was brought to him, and then he starts multiplying that. He takes what's offered, and then he takes it from there. I actually believe we see something similar in our day in some ways. Maybe you got a really bad night of sleep. Maybe you're a young mom. Maybe you just don't sleep good. I recommend a CPAP. That's another conversation for another day. But regardless, maybe you you just didn't get a lot of sleep. And you've got a really big day. Maybe it's work or something with family. Maybe. Maybe, just maybe, you go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I didn't get a lot of sleep. I'm going to ask you to multiply the effectiveness of this night of rest. I actually believe the Lord has answered that prayer. Coffee doesn't hurt. But I believe the Lord has answered that prayer for me. That might sound silly, but I believe the Lord is able to do things like that. Maybe on any given week, you don't have as much time to pour into your kids and invest in your family as you would like. Maybe in your quiet times, you're saying, God, you know I've got a busy week. I don't want to neglect my family. I want to point them to you. Help me. And maybe in the time that you have, you offer that to the Lord and say, this is all I got. Will you multiply the effectiveness of that? And I believe the Lord can do a lot with that little time in the week. Now, I want to encourage all of us that are parenting kids, don't do that every week, okay? But if there's a week where it's just crazy, take it to the Lord. Ask him to bless the efforts. Maybe you don't have a lot of money. And maybe when you're thinking about giving an offering, you're like, my tithe isn't going to do much, right? Might be reminded of the story of the widow's might. I don't think we should get so hung up on the amount that we can offer to the Lord in any category of life. But if we're faithful to take what little we have and say, this is what I've got to work with, Lord, will you multiply it? Will you do something here that only you can do? So Jesus feeds this massive crowd. He uses the disciples to accomplish his will, which brings us to the third and final part of the story. Number three, an ultimate satisfaction. Look at verses 12 and 13. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. All right, so this crowd, they've gone from hearing the the miracles of Jesus, maybe even seeing the miracles of Jesus, and now they're experiencing the miracle of Jesus. Their bellies have experienced the miracle of Jesus, and they were thankful. Look at verse 12. It says that they had eaten their Phil, all right, did anyone else's dad take you to buffets growing up? Anyone? Yeah, so 
I have, I have three brothers and one sister, and so my dad would take me and my brothers to buffets because he wanted to know that he was getting his money's worth, and we could eat to our fill. And that's really what's going on here. This crowd, this massive crowd of 10 to 15,000 people are eating just like Thanksgiving dinner, right? They're just like, oh, I'm stuffed. They ate to their fill. And when they were stuffed, that crowd knew. They knew that they had just witnessed something really strange, something incredible, something wonderful. And they knew that this was a sign. It got their attention, and it pointed them to the source of the miracle. Look at verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. All right, so... These people were familiar with some prophecies. Not all of them were scholars. Not all of them had the Old Testament scriptures memorized. But they were familiar with the idea that God was going to send someone. He was going to send a Messiah, a Redeemer. Someone to rescue his people from oppression. And so this crowd with a full belly gets really excited because they're like, it's him. It's the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. And you know what? They were right. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah they have been waiting for. But the difference is, they wanted this Messiah to keep filling their bellies. They wanted this Messiah to come and overthrow government leaders and rulers and dictators they wanted this Messiah to save them maybe from a bad economy. And you know what? The Lord will rescue us from all of those things one day. But that's not what he came to do here. That's not what he came to do at this point in history. He came to rescue his people from a much deeper and much more needed form of rescue. Skip down, if you would, to verse 35. John 6 Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. As always, I believe Jesus' timing here was impeccable. I don't think it's an accident that on the heels of this crowd eating as much bread and as much fish as they wanted, for Jesus to follow that event up by saying, hey, by the way, I'm the bread of life. I came to satisfy not a hunger in your belly. I came to satisfy the hunger of your souls. And that's way more important. Jesus is letting them know how important he is. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, you'll never hunger again. Whoever comes to me, you will never thirst again. There are many impossible situations that we encounter in this life. Physical, emotional, relational, financial, and all of those are legit. We face those. But the most 
important. The most needed form of rescue is the rescue of our souls. The most. Jesus is the bread of life. I would ask each of us to consider this morning, is your soul satisfied? Are you finding your soul's thirst and hunger being satisfied by the Lord Jesus? If not, as scripture says, behold, today is the day of salvation. I hope you taste and you see that the Lord is good because he is. We're not here to just make you feel good. We're not here to just check the spiritual routine box for the week. We are here to submit ourselves to Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads at this time. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we're all going to have a chance to respond to God's word. I believe that everyone in this room can and should respond to the word of God. If today you realize you've been going through some motions, but your soul is not satisfied in Christ, maybe you need to just confess Jesus is Lord. Maybe you just need to get right with the Lord and surrender your heart to him. Maybe there is an impossible situation you're facing and you're desperate. With heads bowed and eyes closed. We did this last week, but I'd like to do this again. If there's an impossible situation in your life and you're really not sure what the next step is, I'd love to just pray for you. If you could just lift your hand saying, pray for me. Yes. Father, you see the hands, you see the hearts and the minds of the people in this room, even those listening later on. Lord, help them. May they experience your grace. May they experience the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Lord, especially, we pray for the soul or the souls in this room that do not know you. May today be the day of salvation for them. Thank you for being the bread of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, let's stand.